Pastor Xavier Reese with today's simple truth about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Where do we find the will of God? In the Word of God. So if you call yourself a Christian and Jesus is Lord, then you're a person of the Word. And His will for you is to obey His Word, which expresses His will. And that's evidence that you're a Christian. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Life can be like a lopsided game of tug of war with the world and all its things on one side and our relationship with Jesus on the other. The world is pulling hard, but Jesus won't pull back unless you ask Him to. So let's join Pastor Xavier for today's Simple Truth study titled, The Lordship of Christ. We are in our series on the nature of the church, and we're doing this because there's so many crazy things going on in the church today. You've got all kinds of different teachings that are going floating around from the seeker-friendly perspective, from the emergent church, things that are unbiblical, things that are being passed off as being biblical and being the church, and it is not. And the Bible is very clear of what the nature of the church is. The Church of Jesus Christ is the community of God's redeemed, which is characterized by a spiritual birth, spiritual growth, spiritual understanding, spiritual hunger, spiritual warfare. The existence of the church is to be characterized by faithfulness to Christ, to be completed, evidenced by obedience to the Word of God. This is living under the Lordship of Christ without implying sinlessness or perfection. We are in process. I'm not what I used to be, thank God, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm pressing forward towards the mark. Now, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. He didn't say you could not, nor would you have two masters, only that you couldn't serve two masters. Lordship has the idea of power and authority that is submitted to by one's own will. It isn't something that is forced upon us. Now, the believer bows his knee and confesses Jesus as Lord by choice now through repentance. Any church or any person who says they're preaching the gospel and omits repentance is not the church and is not gospel. The non-believer will bow and confess him by force at his return, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. In view of this, let's look at four areas that characterize lordship in the believer's life and the church. First, we want to look at the commitment of the believer. Then we're going to look at the community of the believer. Then the stewardship of the believer. And we'll finish off with the accountability of the believer. Now, these four will give us a good view of what the Lordship of Christ implies. It will not give you a, a full, exhaustive perspective. There's so many things we can cover. But these will help us to understand the Lordship of Christ. Let's begin here with the Lordship of Christ is evident by the commitment of the believer. Commitment is to the call of Jesus to follow him. Real basic. The Lordship begins in salvation and must continue on. To lose sight of myself, take up my cross, and follow him, Mark 8, 34 says. 
Deny yourself, lose sight of yourself. The problem is when we don't know Christ, we are the focus of our life. And so we can't get beyond ourselves. I'm to understand the most basic problem of my life was I. I'm to lose sight of myself so I won't lose sight of others as a Christian because we live in community. Come and follow me, he told Levi, the tax collector, Mark 2.14. Follow me. But also to keep his word or commandments. Jesus made this very clear in John 14.23. He proclaims, I obey. He initiates, I respond. Jesus initiates by the Holy Spirit, and I respond as I responded when I heard the gospel. A co-participation, because he chose me, John 15, 16. God has never predestined anybody to go to hell, and God has never forced anybody to go to heaven. It's a choice you make by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ but also to be his disciple and to yield to his love. Last time we looked at the uh, distinguishing mark of the church in John 13, 35. Jesus said that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, you have loved one for the other, the distinguishing mark. The love for family members is always the greatest mark of commitment because you know all their faults. To love strangers is easy. You don't know them. <laughs> but to love a family member, to love a husband, to love a wife, that you know everything about now, that takes real commitment. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And no man comes to the Father by me in John 14, 6. But also to follow Christ regardless of family or relationships that we might have. Jesus made this clear in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 37. If you examine the teachings of Jesus, you would think and have the tendency to think that he was anti-family. If you understand his teachings, you know that unless you love him first, then you really are not going to love anybody else the way you should. So if you don't forsake mother and father, or if you deny Christ because you don't want to forsake father and mother, then he says you're not worthy of me. He's not telling you to hate your mother and father, your friends, your sons, your daughters. He's saying the only way you can really love them right is first to come to me. And then love them through my love. That's what he's saying. He said in Matthew 10, 38, He who does not take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. So the call to follow Jesus rises above faithfulness to a father, to a mother, to a son, to a daughter. Doesn't mean we hit our families. Doesn't mean we abandon our families. But it means we obey Christ in the call of the gospel. Because often friends and family members turn away from you because you become a Christian. Many of the early Christians lost everything because they became Christians. They became persecuted by their own family members. But also to present my body a living sacrifice in every area of life. Uh, the conclusion of Paul after eight chapters of doctrine, then he takes three chapters of prophecy for Israel, and then he concludes it in chapter 12. I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, but be metamorphosed, transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is a good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. My body is the temple of God. My body is the channel by which and through which God reveals himself to others. People knew who I was. People knew how I lived. And then they saw a change. I didn't change outwardly. 
but my life, my values, what came out of my mouth, my worldview. And God uses that. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Where do we find the will of God? In the word of God. So if you call yourself a Christian and Jesus is Lord, then you're a person of the word. And you can understand the word. And you know his will. And his will for you is to obey his word, which expresses his will. And that's evidence that you're a Christian and that he is Lord. But also, commitment to the body of Christ, the church, because you can't separate Christ from the church. The believer is not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, tells us that. Already at that time, some were forsaking the gathering of the saints. Now, remember, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews who accepted Christ as Messiah, and then after a while, they thought they made a mistake, and they went back to animal sacrifice. They went back to the Jewish covenant, okay? And they forsook the gathering of the saints. And he warns against that. Those who do not join themselves to the church are not committed to Christ. It's real simple. You can't separate your profession and confession of Christ and your participation in the church. To say I'm a committed Christian and that I follow him, yet I'm not committed to the body of believers is inconsistent and unbiblical. Remember, we're studying Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 2.14, Paul the Apostle told them that they were now followers like the churches in Judea. They congregated in the Lordship of Christ. They confessed Christ. Their faith was in Christ. They gathered together. The culture does not excuse us, but it accuses us. We're not to live our Christianity by the cultural indoctrination. The gospel transcends culture. This is where the church gets in trouble. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble. The church belongs in the world, but it's not of the world. But if it lets the world get into the church, then it gets in trouble. And so a lot of cultural relativity and teaching is embraced by the church for the sake of attracting people, of not feeling anti-intellectual, and they lose the power of the gospel. There's no transformation going on. The New Testament church saw the two as one. When someone was excommunicated from the church, it meant that they were not committed to follow Christ and his lifestyle. You remember in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul says, kick that young man out who's sleeping with his stepmother. You kick him out. You turn him over to Satan. Let me give you some news. You don't turn non-believers over to Satan. You turn believers over to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, if need be, but their spirits may be saved. Hopefully they repent. You understand? It's simple. So the community of, of, of the believer in the church was so identified that to be excommunicated was a sheer mark and very clear distinction that you are not obeying God and his word. In fact, you're rebelling against it. Each of us are responsible to know where God wants us to fellowship as you pray. Lord, where would you have me to be and be committed there? Only you know that. 
Now the believer is to be active in the church. Each of us have been imparted at least one gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter 4.10 says. And we're to minister to one another for the edification. I don't know what your gifts are. That's for you to go before the Lord. But you have at least one gift. And I can tell you what that one gift is not. It's not sitting. There's no such gift. And you're to ask God what it is, step out and start being available and make yourself use. And God will direct and guide you in your gifts. Each receives gifts according to the measure of grace as God severally wills. Those gifts are listed for us in Romans 12, 3 through 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, 18 according to his will. But both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 exercise the gifts and define them and describe them there. Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body. You can't separate the head from the body. You can't separate yourself from the church. You are a member of the church. You are the church. You are one of many in the church body of Jesus Christ. Now, it's also the aspect of commitment to people, to love one another. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15, 12. Love, again, that is sourced in God, has a tremendous potential. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 4 on down to 8. He finishes up by saying it never fails. Hope something, believes all things, it never fails. That's agape love. So I'm to yield to God's agape love so that I can do what he calls me to do. So that it's not me who's doing it or it's not me that I'm depending on, but I'm depending upon his love, upon his gifts, upon his direction and his guidance. John 13, 1 says that Jesus loved his disciples to the utter or the very end. And he knew they were going to betray him. All of you will betray me. Peter said, oh, Lord, I would never do that. Peter, three times. <laughs> and he loved them to the very end. God's divine love. Love is manifested in many ways. 2 Timothy 4, 1 says, convince, rebuke, exhort, and reprove with all long-suffering and teaching. Love isn't just permissive. Sometimes churches say, well, love, is Jesus is love, and we don't, we don't get down on people, we don't judge people. Well, then you don't believe the gospel then. If you love your son or your daughter and they're doing something wrong, you correct them. You get all over on them. If you don't, then you don't love them. Because I know bad conduct is going to destroy them, right? If you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I see you doing something wrong, I'm going to confront you. Now, if you're a non-believer, I'm going to evangelize you. I'll be patient with you till you're born again. But if you're a Christian, you're all mine. <laughs> because we're family, you know what I mean? It's simple. Paul rebuked Peter at Antioch because he respected the people who came from Judea, the Jews, and he tipped them from the kosher table to the, uh, or from the Gentile table to the kosher table, and he stumbled Barnabas. In Galatians 2, 11 through 13, he says that. And Paul got in Peter's face. Call him a hypocrite. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are, listen, deceitful. If you hang out around people, they're always complimenting you. They're not your friends. They're your enemies. Get some real friends. Also, to pray for one another, James 5.16 tells us to pray. What privilege it is that you can pray for me and I can pray for you and that we can pray for others. Paul prayed constantly for people in the various churches if you read his epistles. But also to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 tells us the word to forgive as Christ has forgiven us in the same proportion. 
This is the greatest evidence of being Christ-like. Forgiveness. And it must be by and through the agape love of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that will bring you and myself to the end of ourselves. There's not one person in here that likes to forgive or can't forgive on their own. We may be able to say it's okay on some things, but somebody does something really bad. You, no, no. Our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. God didn't put in the law that if eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as a command, he put it as a limitation because he knows that if someone knocks your tooth out, you don't want to knock one out. You want to knock them all out. So it's not a command for vengeance. It's a limitation on your vengeance. That's what it means. The measure is as Christ has forgiven me, Colossians 3.13. Amazing. I've said it often. I'll say it again. No one will ever sin against you as much as you have sinned against Christ or will sin. And he forgives you. And he forgets it. And he never mentions it again. But it's based on genuine repentance. You confess your sin by acknowledging your sin, and you abandon your sin, right? There's the condition. There's repentance. Stephen, as he um, was being stoned, he prayed, Lord, do not charge them with this sin, Acts 7, 60. Now, do you think Stephen could do it on his own? There's no way. That was Christ working through him. Listen to the communist leader. He said, quote, We will not accept into membership anyone with any reservations whatsoever, declared Lenin, the founder of Russian communism. We will not accept into our membership anyone unless he is an active, disciplined, working member in one of our organizations. Are Christians not to be as committed as communists? Do they have a higher standard? God help us. A person's uncompromising commitment to Jesus will be costly. To follow Jesus, even if it means losing your husband, your wife, your children, your entire family. This was such the case in the early church. This is what happens in other countries today. To follow Jesus, even if it means um, losing or having to change your job. Because once you're born again, let's just say that you're a bartender. Well, you're not going to go back to bartending again. You're going to be a Christian and get people drunk? So sometimes becoming a Christian costs you the very job that you earn your living by. Many of the New Testament saints in Corinth, they were blackballed from the um, gills and that because now they were Christians and they refused to go to the celebrations of the pagan gods and be partaker of the pagan uh, rituals and orgies. And so they were blackballed and they wouldn't be hired. You see, it has always cost people for their faith in Christ throughout history. Only America has lived in Disneyland in terms of our Christianity. But things are changing. The atmosphere is becoming more hostile. To follow Jesus, even if it means losing all your material possessions. In fact, the book of Hebrews speaks about those. Have you, forsake, have, you, have you forgotten? Have you perished and lost everything for nothing? And now you're going to give it all up? Today in America, it is called politically correctness through 
legislation. And people are almost being held liable politically and legally. We're not that far from it. You can criticize only one thing in the United States, Christianity. Our laws are not against religion. They're only pointing that they're against Christianity. That's where we're headed. There is never any mention of Islam, anything against it. Are you kidding? In fact, they're trying to make it a very acceptable religion. In TV, they have a program now, American Islam. <laughs> trying to make it a pussycat. It's a lion. <laughs> it hasn't been declawed. Don't judge Islam by the United States. Judge it by where it exists in the world. Pull up the history of Islam. Any point of history and look and see what they've done to each other than to others. A lie is being propagated. Amazing. Matthew 10, 37, she said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Total commitment. A person's commitment to the body of Christ, the church, will be vital for spiritual development then. To grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can grow by yourself as you read and you study. But we've already seen that to gather with the church is part of the nature of the church. You can't say you're a Christian and, and, and refuse to join to the church. To be used by Jesus as a member of the body. You fit in the body somewhere. You have different parts of your body. Your hands, your feet, your eyes, everything else. It fits one body. It's like your hands saying, well, I want to be another body in the body. Just, your hand just walks away. I don't want to be part of that body. You fit somewhere in the body. To see God provide for all the needs of the church as he leads and he guides her. That you are part of a church and you see how God works and how God provides the doors that he opens so that your faith grows and your dependency grows in Christ. Not the pastor. Not people. To see God work in the diversity of the body, making them one in Christ. How he puts it all together. <laughs> and he uses people that you and I would have never hung out with in the world. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed them not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You have to open your heart to it. You have to allow God to work in you. A person's commitment to people will be the most rewarding to witness the power of the grace of God and to transform people as you see God take them from one position to the other the most moral person to the most immoral person, transforming them. To witness the hardness of people's heart be just melted away and transformed by the love of God. And you see it yourself. To see the mercy of God to restore the repentant sinner or the backslider, to cover his sin and put joy in their heart again. Wow. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So in other words, what we declare and deliver to you is the gospel. And we do it with a sincere open heart and God is our witness and you have a Bible to examine if what we're telling you is true or not. You have the same word, you have the same mind, you have the same spirit. I have nothing over on you. We are the same. 
So commitment to the Lordship of Christ is to be evident by the believer's life. You can't get away from it. Pastor Xavier Reese with a compelling call for the commitment to the Lordship of Christ in the life of the believer. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study, The Lordship of Christ, and it's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with those in your church or Bible study. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Lordship of Christ, or simply mention today's date with your request. Ask for yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for letting us know the call letters of this station when you contact us. What's the most important thing in your life? Pastor Xavier Reese explains what it should be. That's next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com